Well, good morning, church. Uh, it's good to see you uh, this morning, at least in this way. Uh, I also want to uh, extend your or my appreciation for your patience this morning. I know that um, uh, that we're a little bit later than what we anticipated, and perhaps in a different format than what we anticipated. And so, uh, appreciate your flexibility and your patience as we work through these technical difficulties, uh, but you would be very, very proud. Andre and Tim and Sean have just been uh, like technic like IT tech uh, experts here, uh, getting us up and going. And so hopefully you're seeing us. Uh, I've got three different cameras I'm trying to look into, and uh, it's very good to gather with you in this way. Uh, very appreciative uh, of you, and I want you to know that uh, even though we are obviously affected by world circumstances right now and we're unable to gather as we would prefer, I, I still absolutely believe that we are one and that we are united this morning in community and in the bond of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Uh, extremely um, uh, thankful for the even the ability to recollect and so I even, even as I'm in the sanctuary this morning I can look around the room and I can see uh, the seats here and I can imagine you sitting in these seats some of you in your in your usual places in the room and that just brings uh, great uh, great joy and peace my way um, so I'm very thankful this morning as we gather as the people of God and we come to this familiar place, we're going to consider uh, God's word to us. I also want to express my deep gratitude. This is the first time I've been in the pulpit since my return from sabbatical. And I just want to express my deep gratitude uh, for your loving support and prayer uh, during my sabbatical and for all that God did in me and in my life uh, during that time, including uh, some healing and some hearing and uh, a call in a new direction, which uh, I know that you're still processing some of that news and we're looking forward to, to talking with you about that later after the service. I suspect that some of us, I know for me too, that we come maybe with some raw emotion today, trying to process thoughts and feelings and put it all together and I understand that and I just want you to know that I get that, I understand that. And I am completely confident that we will uh, get through this together and that the future remains very, very hopeful for each one of us and for our church. And with that in mind, I believe this morning's text is divinely provided for us at this time. Uh, it's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. It is a prayer from the Apostle Paul for the church in the city of Ephesus. And this prayer wonderfully captures my heart for each of you and for our church at East Parkway. Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians, I want you to hear this, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians is as much for us as it was for them. Now what does this prayer mean for us today? It means everything. 
because it teaches us what to pray and why, and it reveals that we are not that different from those early believers. In fact, we can pray this prayer today because the God who blessed them in Christ and and sealed them with the promised Holy Spirit has similarly blessed and sealed us. And so I want to ask you to take your Bibles, please, wherever you happen to be this morning, to take your Bibles, please, and and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, and I read, as I read this passage together. Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin actually at verse 3, although uh, the sermon itself will, will concentrate on verses 15 and following, but I want to begin for context Verse 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and, and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank You for this time we have this morning to come as Your people, 
before your word. And we would simply ask, God, our prayer is simply this, that you would open your word to us and open us to it so that we might hear your voice today and know your presence today and find peace in your will today. So would you do this, we ask, even now, even as we gather in different places, from home to home, neighborhood to neighborhood, city to city, would you unite us even now around your word? In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, I want to take this in two parts this morning. First, why does Paul pray? Then, what does Paul pray? And verses 15 and 16 identify the why. And the first thing we learn is this, that Paul prayed because he was filled with praise for God. The words, for this reason, that, that begin verse 15, connect this prayer to the passage that precedes it. Now, time doesn't allow us to unpack verses 3 through 14 today, but those verses, as we just read, those verses contain some of the most profound statements ever recorded as the Apostle Paul recounts one by one our spiritual blessings in Christ. They are filled with deep praise for God. They emerge from a deep sense of awe about what God has done to rescue us from sin and death and to restore us to Himself in love. Each statement is theologically rich and personally applicable. This is, in fact, one of the most moving statements in all of the New Testament concerning our relationship with God. It's certainly one of the longest. In fact, in the original Greek language, these verses, 3 through 14, they read as one long run-on sentence. It is as if the Apostle Paul is moving from one thought to the next and isn't sure when to stop. Paul just can't uh, contain himself. Each, Each thought builds a upon the other and expands the other. And it's not until uh, the praise that open verse 3 comes full circle to close verse 14. The entire passage speaks of our blessings in Christ and how we've been sealed by God and for God with the promised Holy Spirit. So listen, if you have ever doubted God's love for you, if you've ever doubted God's work in your life, if you've ever questioned your union with Jesus or the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, then please spend time in Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 3 through 14 this week because nearly every word, every phrase, every sentence is a sermon unto itself. Paul's prayer came from a place of praise. Number two, Paul prayed because of their widely known faith and love. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, he said to them, and your love toward all the saints. Now Paul was imprisoned in Rome at this time, about 800 miles from Ephesus, 
Remember, though, that for three years he labored, uh, he labored in Ephesus with them and for them, even as we learned last fall from our study of Acts. It was Paul who laid hands on those early Ephesian converts as they received the Holy Spirit. T- Paul taught them in the synagogue, then in the hall of Tyrannus, and we're told that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God's mighty hand was so evident in Paul's ministry there that even the aprons and handkerchiefs Paul touched were able to heal the sick and free the demon-possessed. Paul served as a catalyst for revival in Ephesus as the Spirit of God moved upon the hearts of the people and caused them to confess their sins and forsake their idolatry and entrust their lives to Christ. Now about a decade had passed since that time. Paul had since moved on, eventually landing in Rome, and now news of the church at Ephesus reached him, news of their faith and their love. Their faith was active, their love apparent, faith and love are inseparable, where Christian love is not present, Christian Where Christian love is not practiced, Christian faith is not present. Love is the hallmark of the Christian life. Not sentimental, emotionally driven, feelings-based love, but love that comes from and points to God, because God is love. Love that is patient and kind. Love that does not envy or boast. Love that is not arrogant or rude. Love that does not insist on its own way. Love that isn't irritable or resentful and doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love that bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love that never ends or fails, as the Bible teaches. The love of those Ephesian believers was widely known by all the saints, not a select few only. Love for God expressed in love for one another. And so they were growing deep and wide. I have heard of your faith, Paul said, deep, and your love, wide. Because their faith was Christ-centered, Their love was Christ-like, resulting in a Christian witness that was far-reaching. No wonder Paul gave thanks and prayed for them. Which leads us to the third reason why he prayed. Paul prayed simply because he was thankful for them. I do not cease to give thanks for you, verse 16, remembering you in my prayers. When Paul got word of their faith and love, he could not help but thank God to have labored with them so, so uh, intimately and intensely, to have been so instrumental in their faith, to have participated with them in faith, then to hear of their growing faith and the impact it was having on others, how sweet this must have been for the Apostle Paul. Paul rejoiced to learn how their faith was impacting their lives every day as well as the lives of those around them. 
And I believe that some of you know very well this kind of joy, this particular kind of joy, because like Paul, God has used you to nurture the faith of another. You have prayed with them and for them. You have labored alongside them. You have taught them the scriptures. And then, maybe slowly at first, one day you begin to see the seeds of faith sprout from the soil of their lives, and you begin to notice fruit, the fruit of a growing loyalty to Jesus and love for others, and you cannot help but respond by thanking God in prayer for them. The correlation between thankfulness and prayer is undeniable. I believe our prayers for each other are most effective when they emerge from a spirit of gratitude for the other person. Sometimes when I take the church directory and I flip the pages and I read your names, I'll remember the times we've shared or something that's going on uh, in your life at that moment. And I begin, I begin praying first by thanking God for you, uh, listing in my own thoughts one by one the many ways you've influenced my life and the lives of others. So to summarize again the why behind this prayer, we find that Paul prayed because he was overcome with praise for God and with gratitude for the Ephesian congregation whose faith was working itself out in love. Now what did he pray for specifically? You would assume that the needs were many, the possibilities were many. There were probably many things that occupied his thoughts. I'm sure that was the case. But as he wrote this letter to them, Paul wanted them to know of three specific things that were foremost on his mind. First, he prayed for their knowledge of God. In verse 17, Paul asked the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, to give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now you cannot help but notice the three persons of the Trinity in this request. There is the Father, there is the Lord Jesus, there is the Holy Spirit, and these three work as one in our lives so that we might know God better and more personally, more understanding of the Father's love, more freedom in the Lordship of Christ, more of God's presence on the daily as the Holy Spirit lives in us and leads us in God's ways. Each week, we pray for all kinds of things, don't we? We pray for physical, material, mental, emotional, relational needs. We pray for health and healing. We pray for our finances and places of work. We pray for all sorts of anxieties. We pray for marriages. We pray for parent-child relationships. We pray for relationships of all kinds, both in and outside of the church. 
We pray for our community and for our country and even for other parts of the world. And obviously, in these particular days, we pray for those being affected by the coronavirus and for the end of its spread. We seek the Lord in each of these ways and many more, rightly so. God invites our prayers and listens as we pray. He promises uh, to answer when we pray according to His will. He wants that we approach Him with confidence, with the assurance that He loves us and He cares for us, however big or small our requests may be. But... When was the last time you simply prayed for more knowledge of God? Either for yourself or for another. Because as legitimate as these other things are, and they are, we must realize that our greatest need is not found in God's answers to our prayers, but in God Himself. We must be people who seek after God, not His blessings only. God is the answer we need most. Paul understood this, which is why he prioritized their knowledge of God. Knowledge here refers to experiential knowledge. It's the kind that comes from firsthand personal interaction. It's about relating with God and, and actually growing in relationship, not simply gathering, gathering facts about God. I think it's like marriage. In marriage, you have two people who love each other dearly, uh, so much so that they come together uh, to commit the rest of their lives to one another. And yet they spend the rest of their lives getting to know each other even more than they thought possible, learning to love and be loved in ways they never even imagined at first. Next month, Sal and I will spend 26 years, we'll celebrate 26 years of marriage, and yet I know and I love my wife today in ways I didn't even think of when we were dating or engaged. And equally important, I have learned to receive more of her love for me because she knows me better too. That's what Paul wanted for these Ephesian Christians and their relationship with God. So he prayed that God would just continue disclosing Himself and His character to them so they would know Him better and more personally. He also, number two, he prayed for their hope. In verse 18, we read how he wanted them to know the hope to which they were called. And for this, they needed the eyes of their hearts opened. Seeing with the heart is different than seeing with the eyes. Seeing with the eyes is a human ability, but seeing with the heart is a work of God. With the eyes of our bodies, we see the physical, but the eyes of the heart see the spiritual. Our physical eyes are bombarded with temporal concern, concerns, but the heart sees from an eternal perspective. Seeing with the heart is deeper Seeing with the heart is more personal. Seeing with the heart is, is aiming to see as God sees. Tozer once called this the gaze of the soul. And he suggested that it's as our inner eyes, our inner eyes look out to God, we find that God has been looking upon us all along. 
that God has been attentive to our needs, that God has been tending to us, not ignoring or dismissing us. Once you were without hope. The future was hopeless. You were separated from God and dead spiritually, but God called you from the dead and opened your eyes. He enabled you to see the wonder of Christ. He called you out from darkness and shine the light of Jesus in your heart and now you share in the life of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that you are born again to a living hope. The Bible promises that if you are in Christ, then He has secured for you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Imperishable a military term that pictures an impenetrable defense against invading armies. Undefiled, meaning free from contamination or impurity of any kind. Unfading, without decrease in grandeur or glory. Your inheritance in Christ is securely held by God and will not lose even an ounce of its splendor for all eternity. But even more inspiring, perhaps, is how we now share in God's inheritance, as Paul mentions here in this verse. Because one day we will stand in glory with all the people of God as His treasured possession. That great company of believers that crosses cultures and and continents, that extends from ages past to the present day to the days yet to come whose number no one can count. We will all gather as one before God. God's redemptive purposes will be fully realized. Sin and its effects will be seen and felt no more. That which God began before the foundation of the world will come to glorious fruition. This is your hope. This isn't about harnessing the power of positivity. This isn't about, uh, it's not to be confused with wishful thinking. This is your Christian hope. And hope in the biblical sense carries with it a, a degree of confidence and certainty. It looks forward with anticipation and assurance. You see, Paul wanted their future reality to bust in and inform and impact their present lives. He wanted them to hope in God again today and the next day and the next day after that. And number three, we find that Paul prayed for their spiritual strength. So he wanted them to know God. He wanted them to know the hope to which they were called. And third, verse 19, he wanted them to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. I want to remind you that if you are a Christian today, if you are a child of God, if you are a a friend and follower of Jesus, if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, it's because God has come upon you in power. God has moved upon your life with such might, such supernatural force, such perfect love, 
that who you once were apart from His grace and mercy has been reversed and replaced with newness of life. I want you to think about who you were before you knew Christ and who you are now. You were lost, now found. You were estranged, now esteemed. You were slaves, now sons and daughters, from children of wrath to children of God. Now, we often say that the gift of life itself is a miracle, right? But the gift of new life is even more miraculous because God wasn't working uh, with a blank slate or an empty canvas. No, He brought you out from the muck and filth of Satan's slums. Your slate was anything but clean and on the canvas of your life was painted a much different picture than you are today as you tried to rebelliously paint yourself out of God's image. But now that image, the image of God in which you were made is being fully restored in you. Only the power of God can achieve the dethronement of self and the enthronement of Christ in a person's life. Be assured, He who created the heavens and the earth, will He not also care for you? He who divided the Red Sea, can He not also deliver you? He who fed thousands with five loaves and two fish, can He not also feed you? He who spoke to the grave and rose Lazarus from the dead, can He not also raise you? His hand is strong and His arm outreached. He will not leave you. He has not forsaken you. God is with you, even Christ, right now, right here in your living rooms or wherever you happen to be, and God is able. Are you feeling the weight of despair today? I want you to know that the life of Christ is alive in you. This means there's never a problem. Never a problem at home, at work, at school, or in the church that is beyond the power of God. Not even a worldwide pandemic can stay God's hands. Even COVID-19, which may hold power over us, yields no authority over Him. It means you are not alone because God is with you in Jesus who gives you strength by His Spirit. So, by praying for their knowledge of God and for their hope in God and for strength from God, Paul was effectively pointing them to Jesus as we see in verses 20 through 23. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power with which Jesus rules from the right hand of the Father today and by which He leads the church is present. It was present in their lives and it's present in ours. Philippians 4.13 reminds us we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so church, given these things, given this prayer, I'd like to leave you with a few thoughts this morning that I believe extend from Ephesus to East Parkway, from their day to ours, from their church to ours, Because like Paul for the Ephesians, I am so very thankful for you. So very thankful for your faith. So very thankful for the many ways in which your love is is reaching out and extending uh, to, to all those around you. So thankful for the ways we are growing in God's love together. I praise God for you and for what He's 
done in, in our church and continues to do. I, I believe, I truly believe, as I said at the start, that I was led to preach from this passage because this prayer reflects my heart for you, particularly during this time of sheltering and distancing and transition. This prayer communicates what I, what I want to say to each of you and to our church as a whole during this time. I believe this prayer speaks into our current situation in obvious ways. Because don't we need to know God more? Also? And so I'm praying for your knowledge of God. For your view and understanding of the Father's love. For how you relate with God in a personal way. My prayer is that you would draw near to Him knowing that He has drawn near to you. And we also need hope today. And so I am praying for your hope. May the eyes of our hearts be opened to see the hope to which we've been called. And may the certainty of our glorious future burst into your present reality. May you face today with confidence knowing that your tomorrow and our church's tomorrow is firmly under God's control. We also need to be strengthened spiritually, don't we? So I am praying for your strength. Wanting, that you, wanting you to be strengthened in body, strengthened in mind, strengthened in spirit today as you remember just some of the ways that God has, has, has moved in your life in power, even today. I'm praying that we not give in to a spirit of defeat. I'm praying and trusting that we don't give Satan that victory. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Essentially, we're coming to this place where we realize again and again that we, we need Jesus. And so I'm, I'm hoping and trying and trusting that, to point you to Jesus today, who came to us, lived among us, died and rose for us, and is exalted at the Father's right hand. He is far above all perceived threats to His authority. His name is above every other, and He has been given to the church as its head. We are His body. Because Jesus is risen, verse 20, we can believe that God's will for us is good and completely trustworthy, and that He brings life and newness out from dis, uh, death and despair. Because Christ is exalted above all things, now and forever, verse 21, we need not worry about what we cannot control, that He is in control is good enough for me. And because Christ is head of the church, 
as we read in verses 22 and 23, including our church, we can step into our future as one people united in a common cause. Just yesterday I received a text from a friend saying he was praying for me. And he said, these are his words, wherever you may sense fear rising up, whether finances, family, your church, your community, believe. Believe God for the enough, he said, for the enough. Believe God for the outcomes. Believe God for you fill in the blank. And then he said, I'm with you during this time. I'm with you during this time. So let's believe together. That's what I'm praying for you, East Parkway. I'm praying for the integrity of our congregation during these unique and uniquely challenging days. So may we gather around these things and believe together. May we pray this prayer together. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for each other. Pray it for me, even as I pray it for you. May we be motivated by praise for God and deep gratitude for one another so that our faith can work itself out in love because... The God who blessed them in Christ and sealed them with the promised Holy Spirit has similarly blessed and sealed you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this time we've had in your word. And I just would want to pray a prayer of blessing over the people now that the truth of your word would continue to settle into the soil of our hearts and that every facet of that truth would find meaning and application in each of our lives. I pray you would, you would make us receptive to your work. I do pray that you would Overwhelm us with praise for all that you have done. I ask that you would help us to know you more, to hope in you more, to trust more in your strength and thus to be strengthened by you. Would you unite us as a congregation of people, even in this time when we can't gather in person, would the, would the bond between us be even stronger than we think possible? We bless you. We thank you. Go into our homes and bring your peace and joy in every way through Christ. And his Holy Spirit we ask. Amen. So church, I just want to leave you with, uh, I want to remind you that uh, we were going we're gonna to gather here and have a time of uh, a question and answer Q&A regarding the uh, the, the letters that went out this week, and I encourage you to stay for that. Before we do that, I want to leave you with, with this benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.